Welcome to another episode. I am V and this is the Sussex set. I just want to do a quick podcast. This is not going to be nearly as long. I meant to record yesterday. Well, maybe last night, but today's Monday, Monday night. Um, I have had so many thoughts in the last couple of days, especially with the James Corden segment. And then now we're getting the first glimpse of the interview on CBS. So I just kind of wanted to get some of my thoughts down on wax and kind of just hit on some of the reactions that I noticed from people from both of those things, the James Corden and the Oprah Oprah interview uh, clips that we saw. And I got to say, I did not see February, (laughs) February and March looking like this at the beginning of the year. We hadn't really seen a whole lot of Harry and Meghan. Like we knew they were over here. We knew they were working. But A, we didn't know. Because I guess it's none of our business until they make it our business. But we didn't know Megan was pregnant until, you know, a week ago, a couple weeks ago. And then right after that, it was announced that Harry and Megan were doing an interview with none other than Oprah. Right. She's a queen in her own right. She has her own empire. She was called a queen before she even built the empire of own to what it is. Uh, the daytime talk show queen. And Oprah's going to ask some questions. We know that. And I think that's why everybody was so geeked because she's interviewed so many people, uh, so many um, people after incredibly trying moments in their lives, right? So Oprah is a seasoned veteran when it comes to these specific types of interviews. So we we got the news of that. And so especially given that it was only the first Sunday in March. And so basically it was right around the corner. So we didn't have to wait a long time for it. And we had previously seen the pictures of Harry and James Corden. Harry's on the um, the bus and we knew that that was coming. We just didn't know when. And then that got thrown into the mix this month. So, or in February. So there's a lot going on here all of a sudden. And, All of this comes right on the heels of the palace basically announcing to the world that Harry and Meghan are no longer working royals and that their patronages, some of their patronages would no longer be under their care. And then, of course, that Harry's military or honorary uh, titles would be taken away from him. So when I think about all of that, I think about the palace and all of the people that support the palace, like the monarchists, the tabloids, the Megan and Harry haters, they're talking about the timing of things, the timing, the timing, the timing. But what about the palace's timing? (laughs) Right? Because, I mean, it's not like they didn't know that some of these things were coming up now. Granted, probably nobody knew about the Oprah interview. But why is it that 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 the palace gets to release things whenever they want to right, for the rest of the world? But then when Harry and Meghan does it, it's, you know, somebody in the royal family is their victim, you know, all while people that are hating on Harry and Meghan are accusing them of playing the victim. So we keep getting these examples of people wanting to have it both ways when it comes to Harry and Meghan. You know, when they announced the interview, this was before Philip was even in the hospital. They were still on about how Harry had supposedly 
disrespected the queen with the statement that they released saying service is universal. Well, if you look at the James Corden segment where they're talking about uh, Harry and Meghan's exit from England and the royal family, he says that (laughs) in that clip. And that clip was recorded in early February before the palace even announced that Harry and Meghan would be removed from their patronages. And it was, to me, it seems like it was only because Buckingham Palace's statement about Harry and Meghan stepping back, it was so shady, so shady that they had to make a second statement saying, well, that's not actually how we meant to say it. Even though you would think that something that's supposedly important uh, as the monarchy would think about things long and hard and be very deliberate about the types of statements that they release to uh, the public. And because of Harry and Meghan being who they are, the rest of the world will then, you know, take interest in that. It was a shady statement, right? So Harry and Meghan, their statement, yes, it. I feel like it did hit back. But at the same time, He said nothing different in that statement than what he said on that bus. He said, our lives are always going to be about public service. And whether we're doing it here or whether we're doing it there, we're going to be doing that. So nobody is talking about that. (laughs) Everybody's just talking about Harry and Meghan's time. And and then Philip went into the hospital. And now they're basically trying to, and this is what the tabloids do. uh, They're trying to use Philip now to guilt trip Harry and Meghan because that's how afraid of the interview they are and no one seems to be writing about this explicitly and of course this is something that Sussex Squad has known or at least felt from day one nobody's talking about how afraid the royal family is the royal family is showing you how afraid they are in so many ways, because we know who their journalists are, but they're not saying any, anything explicitly. They talk through the press, right? That's their tactic. But the press, the British press is trying to make Harry and Meghan to be these villains for doing what they're doing, which is essentially living life on their terms, which, of course, we know the royal family is not used to that. The British press is not used to that. But because they are doing that and they're doing that unapologetically their timing because their timing is the only timing that matters here um they're trying to say oh but you you know the the little old queen she just made an, uh, an announcement about vaccines and uh you know you you stepped on that harry and then look at your granddad your granddad is in the hospital i mean why are you going to go ahead with this interview you, i mean why are you doing this to your family and i think that's their way of saying we are afraid of what you're about to reveal to the world. They're not going to say that explicitly. The press is not going to say that. And we know the family is not going to say that. But what seems to be understood by everybody paying attention, whether they're just now starting to pay attention or whether they've been paying attention from since before they even got married, we all understand that You know, 99 times out of 100, when a person is running from something, they're running towards their family. They're retreating into their clan because that clan 
it serves as protection for you when all else fails, right? But Harry and Meghan, and particularly Harry, because he said it, he said it before they officially left England. He said it with James Corden, and he said it in that clip we saw with Oprah. He left because he was trying to protect his own family. So his family cannot be protected within the larger family the way that Will and Kate's family can be protected. Andrew and his family can be protected. Anne and her family can be protected. Everybody else's little mini family can be protected within that royal family except the most popular royals family, which in this case is Harry and his family. No, 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 no. They drew the line there. And so Harry and his family, they went an ocean and a continent away just so they could live life with some decency, without feeling like they were being hounded, and without feeling like they were being silenced. And so I noticed that's another thing the uh, British media girls are freaking out about because Oprah ain't waste no time. <laughs> Oprah did not waste any time. Like we got from Gail King before the clip, Oprah said, there are no limits. And then the first thing you hear from Oprah's mouth in the first clip that you see is there are no limits in this interview. And then the first question you hear, or one of the first is, were you silent or were you silenced? Now, for those of y'all that are new, this is your first, you know, Sussex set podcast or video on YouTube or where you happen to be watching this or listening to this. Um, Cause it's been a lot of new people, <laughs> most probably American, but um, Megan said herself. So just, just so people know, Megan said herself in her court case, which she just recently won against the, the mail, uh, the mail on Sunday and the daily mail and uh, associated newspapers. She was silenced. She said that it's in legal documentation that she was silenced and she felt silenced. And not only that, but her friends who tried to basically speak up for her, come to her defense for that People magazine article. She said they were silenced. So Oprah has every reason to ask that question because Megan said it herself. Right. But they are freaking out about it because then. What does that say about the institution that you are a part of? Because that was the word that Megan used institution. She didn't say royal family. But what does it say about the institution that you're a part of? It kind of goes back into why Harry probably felt that he had to leave. Because not only were they not protected, but they were silenced against this juggernaut of the British tabloid media who only wants to um, make profit. We know they were making money hand over fist in ways that they hadn't seen out of their own mouths and ways that they hadn't seen since Diana, the woman who basically died running for her life from these people. Right. Who's Harry's mom. Um, they, they got used to the profits. And on top of all of that. Megan was a woman of color. Megan was not, uh, you know, from the ruling class in England. She's uh, not an English woman at all. She's American and she has a mind of her own. None of those things mesh well with what these types of um, institutions expect of royal women. Right. And they didn't feel like she was good enough for Harry. Harry was their favorite royal. He really still is. But. 
now it's just become this nasty, abusive relationship where they don't want Harry to be happy without him, least of all happy with her. Now, on a previous episode of this podcast, I talked about black women and how we don't really back down and um, we speak our minds because people root for us to fail from the beginning. And Oprah's career is no different from that. And so she's willed herself to be this person she is. They know Oprah is going to ask all the questions they dread. In one way or the other, how Harry and Meghan chooses to answer those, that's on them. But they know Oprah is going to ask those questions because one of the most important jobs of an interviewer is to know your subject first. And you best believe Oprah has done her research. Oprah has talked about how badly Megan was treated while Megan was over there, while Megan was pregnant with Archie. So Oprah's been paying attention, right? Uh, and I'm sure Oprah has her own opinions of what could have or some of the things that that could have ex- uh, Megan could have experienced, but. Here's something that's also very interesting about Oprah being the interviewer for their story and for them to talk about their experiences upon exiting the royal family. What some people may not know, I'm I'm assuming most people don't know this, but I remember Oprah saying this. It was either on her show or she was being interviewed. Oprah was going to interview Princess Diana. I believe she said in September or October of that same year she passed and Diana died August 31st. So it's really almost eerie how certain things just repeat between Harry and and Diana. Diana was about to embark on this life where she saw herself living much of her life in America Um And here Harry is over here being interviewed by the same woman who's about to interview his own mother, who he was doing everything in his power to prevent his wife and, you know, their their story and their narrative ending up similar to how Diana's ended. I mean, it's really just mind blowing to me. And that's why I was so shook, because. I knew the interview was coming, but it's so different to see the clips, though. And I think I got the same reaction from pretty much everybody in the squad, people who are not even in the squad. Um, But especially those who are old enough to remember the pain that Diana went through, the pain that Harry went through, and then now seeing up close the same things that Harry and Meghan are going through that they didn't have to go through. And for us women, especially if we're in our 30s to like mid 40s, early to mid 40s, we remember our mother's reaction to Diana's passing. We remember that. Um, And to see it actually happening again, 20 years later to her son and his wife, it's been nothing short of maddening. And people wonder why we have that kind of heat, because it's like you would think that, you know, a couple of decades later, people would have learned their their lesson, not just the tabloid media, although we know they're greedy, but the family for sure. And the fact that they hadn't. And on top of all of that, people who didn't even remember Princess Diana got to see a glimpse of what she went through just by watching The Crown who just coincidentally also won a bunch of Golden Globes for their very realistic 
performance. <laughs> Obviously, they're actors, but um, they did a pretty good job. I mean, it's a great show. The actors are all phenomenal. But as Harry said himself, it's fiction, but it's based on real events or it's based on um, the truth. And so to just see that play out over again uh, with Megan and Harry, it was just so maddening, so maddening. But one of the things that Harry said when he was on that bus, and I'm sure he's going to reiterate it in the Oprah interview, was that he wouldn't be a man if he didn't protect his family. I mean, he didn't put it that way, but that's what he, that's what we're taking from it. He decided as the man of that family that he's going to protect his family, his own family. And people act like they were surprised to, <laughs> to hear him say that, you know, they're surprised to hear him say it. They're not surprised to hear anybody else say it because they're so again, they're used to royals being silent and they're used to Harry not saying anything controversial. They're used to him. And that shouldn't be controversial for anybody, but it's something that they don't like that they don't agree with. But Harry's off, you know, he's all fun. Whenever he's just joking around and, you know, uh, popping into the pub, you know, for beer or whatever, whatever the hell author fucking Edwards says about what Harry used to do. Um, that's fun. when you, It's just you. You can sort of, you know, toe that line between um, being friendly with royal reporters without actually being their friend because there's nothing bad that's come from that relationship. You do want as a single man, as a single, um, you know, working member of the Royal family who works very closely with the Invictus games, obviously uh, sent to Bali as well for obvious reasons and all these other charity um, ventures that Harry has going on. You do want to, keep a friendly relationship if these are the people that are going to be writing about it. But all bets are off when you are attacking my wife and my unborn child behind some racist garbage. And when she is also trying to promote positive ideas, charity work, you know, a charity for women to make sure that they feel prepared going back into the workforce, uh, the hub community kitchen, you know, helping to feed Grenfell tower victims and survivors. Um, but you call her a jihadist. What? Because the women are Muslim. Okay. Try to be less racist. Can you? And like when Megan did British Vogue and she was the editor for that month, you know what? She could have said it would be a key for me to be on the cover of British Vogue just because I want to be. But instead, she decided to put 15 or 16 other women on the cover and you. So if you bought the magazine, you were on the cover, too, because there was a little mirror in there. Megan wasn't on there. But you know what they said instead, instead of instead of them saying, oh, that is that is so forward and very on brand for her to promote other women because she said she was a feminist. And these these women all have a story to tell. That is wonderful. No, what they said was what Camilla said was that not not Parker Bowles. I'm talking about Camilla Tomini. But what she said was, does Megan even see her biases? She only selected five white women for the cover excuse me and on and on and on like Megan never caught a break and so to now see Harry finally get his chance because Harry is a firecracker and one thing they know about him is he's going to say what needs to be said in one way or the other and 
the fact that they read so far into anything that they say, well, he's he's about to give you all plenty of material. That's the feeling that I get. And people are still trying to blame him on top of that. But one thing that I found refreshing, to say the least, was the fact that when he said that and Americans saw that because, that's you know, James Corden comes on uh, American television late night. People really responded to that. Americans really respond to that. And I think another thing that people responded to that at least support Harry is his openness with his his mental health throughout that process. He said they were trying to destroy my mental health. So that lets me know that he also felt under attack, even if it was purely emotionally, you know, him seeing Megan, him trying to make sure that, as he said, history isn't repeated. But then how can you not feel strained when you're going through something like that? And Harry's always been open about his mental health. He started Heads Together. You know, he talks very openly or, you know, with different charities about the importance of speaking about your mental health and opening yourself up and being vulnerable in that regard, especially if you're a young male. Um, He talks about mental health with veterans that have served and are trying to find their place back in society after they've gotten out of the service. And then underneath all of the work that Harry does and has done with regard to mental health, he has his own mental health to maintain, stemming from the moment his whole entire world blew up when his mom died. He talks very openly about the fact that for decades, he was numb. He, he didn't cry after his mom died. Or at least there was a period of time shortly after she died where he just stopped crying about it and sort of compartmentalized um, and just never really revisited that until he was in his 30s. Like the kid's world blew up. And now he's living through some of the same exact things that caused his mother to no longer be here. And so now the other woman that he loves the absolute most in his world is the victim of those same forces. And so, yes, I believe them when they say unsurvivable. And Harry's talked about how he's dealt with depression. And I'm sure much of that extends from his mother's death. But as somebody who has dealt with depression for much of my adult life, I can't imagine having that because that doesn't go away just because you get married. And, you know, it doesn't go away. And depression is different for everybody, but um, it doesn't go away just because your life events change. It may change colors, you know, it may fade a little bit. But imagine dealing with your own things, trying to protect Not just, you know, Megan and his unborn child, but her mental health as well, uh, because she's in a a totally new environment. Again, the family apparently cannot be relied on. There's no way they could have stayed. He had to leave because that's the same thing to do. Like, that's the same thing to do as the uh, parent in a household to protect your family you know, as a man in the household to protect your wife and your child. So 
uh, and their future. Like this is what this man was trying to do is to secure their future because the British press would have been okay to cut them down at whatever stage they were. I mean, look at how look at how hard they're trying to do it. They can they just can't really do it, you know. Um, Americans really respond to that. And we respond to him because we like him as a person. Everybody likes Harry, but we're not going to blame him for doing what's innate the way that British, I won't even say British people, but the British tabloid media and the Harry and Meghan critics, the Karens, you know, the Beckys, the Emilys, you know, a lot of them. I know all of y'all ain't, you know, that, but um, the way they, they try to blame Harry and Meghan for actually like fighting for their lives and their dignity. Americans, we're not going to do that. And I'm sensing a little bit of disappointment <laughs> from the uh, these entities, you know, the British tabloid media, probably within the royal family, although the royal family, again, they're not saying they're not going to say a whole lot about it. Um, that America's, you know, we're ready. We're waiting to embrace them. We're waiting to say, hey, we're not like that. So y'all go ahead and get comfortable. We'll see y'all when we see y'all. Because, yeah, we got our cuckoos over here, too. But I, like I said before, we know this is a dumpster fire over here in a lot of ways. We know that. We know that. But one thing about it, we're not afraid to talk about, like, for example, racism. We don't pretend that it's not a thing. And we can identify what Harry and Meghan went through as being racially motivated in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, not saying every Every single criticism levied on Megan was due to racism. But girl, it didn't come from out of thin air. But another thing as well is a lot of Americans who don't pay attention to what's happening in England or didn't pay a whole lot of attention uh, to what was happening with Harry and Megan. We still knew who they were. And I think when they got over here and then the first thing that Harry does sort of as an introduction uh, to America, at least since, you know, post-royal duties, is James Corden. People were curious. They wanted to see who this guy was, like, you know, that didn't know him as well as we know him or maybe of a younger generation who um, really only knew he existed when he got married, you know, or in the last couple of years. So, but just knowing that he was that lady from the crown son, you know what I'm saying? Like it's sort of all sort of fits together, but um, seeing him and seeing him be himself and to be relaxed, but then also be free enough to talk about his experience, even just on a 17 minute segment, people saw it and they liked what they saw. So people of all ages. So whether they're teenagers who know the difference between right and wrong, whether they're 30-somethings who remember what happened to his mother, or, you know, whether they're 60 and 70-something-year-olds who also remember what happened to his mother and remember him walking behind his mother's coffin. Like, Harry has a lot of goodwill. He has a lot of goodwill, not just in America or in England, but all over the world for that reason. And then to see him put through what he was put through, for no reason, uh, 
I think it just kind of only multiplied. And so it was really refreshing to see America giving that back to him. And in a way, giving a giant F you to the British press, because we don't do that over here. We don't do that over here. We, we don't tear people apart for fun just because, you know, we got a publication that we can write an article article about. And that's partly because that we just don't prize tabloid media the way uh, British people seem to do. Yeah, because that industry is thriving over there, but it doesn't thrive over here. And another thing I thought was a sort of a double whammy was how James Corden's segment, it led right into the clips of the interview, the upcoming interview. Both of those are CBS, by the way. So that could have been planned, but it might not have been. I don't know. But one thing I do know is the James Corden clip has 12 million views right now. At the time of me recording this, 12 million views on YouTube. All the other clips on that YouTube page, because that just tends to be what I do. Um, Harry making clips. I look at and I see how they do or how they perform uh, versus all the other videos on that page. Far outnumbering the views for the other videos. That's how much much interest uh, Harry is getting. And that was just Harry. That was just Harry. Well, Megan FaceTimed in there, too. But um, primarily it was just Harry. So. And all of the comments on the video are positive. The ones that are negative, you don't see because it's so overwhelmingly positive and not in a, you know, um, Sussex squad (laughs) type of way. These are you can tell that these are just people who. Again, only knew a little bit about Harry, but just wanted to see what he was about or, you know, thought parts of it were funny and they saw a clip on Twitter. And so they watched the whole video. But a lot of the people were saying we're happy to have you in America, Harry. Um, So sad that he couldn't stay in his own country, you know, and he just had to, you know, leave in order to protect his family. But we're glad he's over here instead of over there. You know what I'm saying? So it's. Something that then when you see the clip of, you know, Harry and Meghan and Oprah, and then that has a much more serious tone. It makes people realize, wow, who would put that guy through that? You know, and so the goodwill from even just people who didn't know a whole lot about him, it carried right into those clips that were released by uh, CBS for that upcoming interview. And so many people were saying, why would someone want to put this guy, this great guy through what he's talking about over here with Oprah? Like that doesn't make sense. So now I really want to find out what's going on. And so that many more people are going to be watching that interview. And boy, let me tell you, the British media, the Sussex critics, probably the royal family, they hated, they hated. They wanted Harry and Meghan to get over here and fail. They wanted them to, you know, come crawling back. You know, Harry didn't want a one year review. And that's probably why that statement was so bitter from the from uh, the palace. He didn't want a one year review. What was the need for it? You know, Um, 
because I don't whether they had a Netflix deal, a Spotify deal or not, they were not going back to what they came from. And they hate that now they are over here. They are uber successful before they're even before they really even got started. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? They're that successful and they're about to speak up on their experience. And, you know, you are the baddie. Whether you're the royal family or, you know, the British press. Oh, they're freaking out and they don't know up from down, left from right. They're just throwing everything at the wall just to see what sticks because that's all they have. That's all they have. And while they were trying to basically pit uh, James Corden against Oprah saying, in in a sense saying James Corden's segment pretty much undercuts Oprah's interview, Oprah magazine wrote about how great the segment was <laughs> like the British media just cannot win at this stage. And not only that, but they had to bid over the interview because on one hand, they will tell the British public that no one is interested in the interview. Nobody wants to watch it. But then on the other hand, they will go into an all out bidding war to see who can play the interview in the UK. So, child, y'all ain't fooling nobody. Y'all ain't fooling nobody. We know y'all gonna watch it. Y'all gonna be hanging on every word. You probably watch it multiple, multiple times. You're gonna see Harry and Meghan in their beautiful backyard. And you know what? That might not even be the backyard. That might be the side yard. Who knows? But I know they got a lot of land. You're going to watch it. You're going to critique the chairs and you're going, you know, critique her dress and her eye makeup. And you're going to say, why she wearing heels and things of that nature? You're going to try to find any and every little thing wrong with that picture that you can because you are sad that you can't live that life. And that Harry has chosen to live that life with her. And they're rich and they have rich friends and, you know, everybody in their neighborhood, pretty rich. And you're going to lament the fact, not outwardly, of course, but you're going to lament the fact that no, Harry and Meghan are not going to fly back to England coach just to say, can we come back, please? And they're not. They're not coming back. Harry's going to talk about how he's a fierce protector and how he's so disappointed in a lot of the people in his nation. And, you know, Megan's going to talk about how free she is. She's going to grab her bump and how wonderful their family life is. And Oprah's probably going to talk about how she's used to high journalistic standards and um, how basically the British media are trash. And um, y'all going to hate every minute of it. And for that reason, I'm going to love it. I'm going to love every minute of it. Now, I'm sure there are parts of it that I'm going to be so angry about and just angered by, saddened by. uh, Because even just the look on Megan's face makes me sad. Harry's too, to be honest. But um, 
just because they're having to talk about basically sort of relive what they went through, but then also presenting it honestly for people that would be watching. But um, I'm looking forward to it because when it's all said and done, they're saying their piece and they feel they know they're in a position to be able to do that without having to ask for any permission from anybody. You know, Harry said himself, Buckingham Palace, they don't speak for me. And so, yeah, he does have the right to respond if he wants to. It ain't poor Betty. It ain't poor Queen. It ain't poor Will. It ain't poor family. It's poor you. Poor you. Because you don't have him and her under your thumb anymore. So, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to them finally getting it out there for anybody who's had any questions about, you know, I don't know exactly what they're going to share or how much detail of what they experience they're going to share, but it's going to be for the record, whatever it is. And I like that so many people who may not know them or their experience as well as I do are still going to be tuning in. I'm seeing so many uh, publications, small, medium, and large talking about this interview because everybody's going to be watching for years in a row, Megan has been the most, one of the most Googled people in the world, in the whole entire world. Um, Harry and Megan in 2020 were nominees for Time Person of the Year. People are going to tune in. And what always happens is people who don't know as much about them, but they've heard some good, they've heard some bad, they're going to watch and they're going to determine for themselves that not only are they not the villain, they're very likable people. And people are going to see themselves in Harry and Meghan because right now the British media are trying to paint them as now, you know, aloof and, you know, celebrities and, basically high maintenance individuals who just want to be catered to that has never been them. And that's saying a lot for both of them because Megan came into the whole situation as a millionaire, but people who know her said she volunteered when she was working on suits, she volunteered at the local soup kitchen because that's how she was raised. And Harry, for him being a prince, he certainly, you know, everybody <laughs> in their young days, they have a right to their shenanigans you know, Broden learned his lesson. He'd have moved on. He grew up even before he dated Megan. He had his own thing going with his charities. Harry was always out and about with the Obamas, with the Bidens, promoting the Invictus Games. Just, I mean, promoting the Olympics when they went, when they came to London. Um, Harry had his whole entire thing together. The, the boy went to war. Um totally approachable, never gave off a high maintenance vibe, even though his grandma is the queen, right? But now all of a sudden that he wants some space and he wants room to protect his family as any man should, suddenly they're quote unquote high maintenance. People are going to completely dismiss that notion and they're going to determine for themselves that they're not. So I'm really looking forward to like 
everybody's reaction, like all types of people who would have uh, watched the interview. I don't expect Harry or Meghan, for that matter, to say anything specific about the royal family. Certainly they're not going to name names. I don't know that they will reference the royal family all that much. I'm still going to have my opinions, but I don't think it would serve them to do that anyway. But uh, Harry might. Harry might. I don't know. Because <laughs> Harry, 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 he just might, you know, but I don't I don't really think he would. I mean, I think he's going to pretty much take the same tone as, you know, my grandma and my grandpa when we're on the Zoom, you know, because he clearly at least has a lot of respect for them. Uh, as you would, you would think. Right. But, you know, we got our opinions and we know what's been said or at least um been repeated about certain things that people may have said about Megan and things of that nature. But um, that's not my family. My, my whole gripe about the whole situation with regard to the actual family is that they should have protected them more, regardless of what you may, you know, your relationship may be like. Um, I think Oprah is going to ask the questions though, And so that's where it could be tricky uh, for either of them. But at the same time, there are no limits for the interview. They could have set limits and Oprah would have honored those limits and just said, you know, you know, certain subjects, certain people are off limits. There are no limits. And it's precisely because Harry and Meghan don't want there to be any limits. So. That's the one thing that's so intriguing to me, given that we're on this side of the interview and particularly Harry. I'm going to try very hard not to overanalyze what he says, because that's his family. Right. The royal family, it is a business. You know, they call themselves the firm. But they're still blood related. And so when the topic of will comes up, that's going to be interesting if it comes up uh, and I'm, you know, I'm no body language expert, but I think everybody's going to be sort of um, looking for signs that not everything was as the, uh, the Cambridges particularly will have been trying to present them specifically with regard to his relationship with Harry. Because what do we know? We know that according to a lot of people who wrote a lot of things, whether they were books or articles, Will had an issue with being overshadowed, right? Um, Monarchists, of course, they had an issue with the sixth in line and his wife being more of a draw than the second in line and his wife, right? When they came back from Africa, it was the whole, well, I can't put my arms around my brother anymore. From Will on the front pages of, uh, of uh, I can't remember what the publication was, but it was there. He had on the uniform and Harry had on civilian clothes. Now, ain't that, ain't that ironic, right? Um, but that's, again, so that's sort of like, well, is the media and the family coordinating here? Um, We know that early on there was talk of 
Meghan and Harry being sent to Africa and not for a tour, but for an extended stay uh, or Canada or perhaps maybe even Australia because they wanted them out of England, supposedly because they were overshadowing Will and Kate. Um, and it could have been decided that, well, actually, we don't want them in those places, because especially Canada or Australia, because then basically they would be king and queen of, of there, the governor general. So we can't have that. Uh, just so many different things have been pointing to this idea or this question of whether or not there is jealousy and envy on the part of Will. Probably Kate, too. Because Harry and Meghan are so popular. Now, this is me and my pettiness. But after Harry and Meghan left, Will and Kate basically tried to turn into Harry and Meghan. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Get some of that good publicity. You know, maybe if I wear my hair this way or maybe if I wear this brand or maybe if I, you know, act this way or maybe if I talk about this topic, you know, maybe if I put a little Harry Styles in my in my my Instagram stories or whatever, you know. But really at the root of that, a lot of it, especially after Harry and Meghan left, it seemed to be that Will didn't like that Harry was with Meghan. So I don't know if that is going to come up, you know, whether Oprah asks Harry or Meghan, specifically Meghan, what her relationship is like with Will, because one thing I know, Megan is not about to lie. She she might not, you know, call a spade a spade in plain language, but she feels the need to be truthful. And I think Harry does, too. So, again, Megan, she's far more diplomatic in her answers in a lot of ways, I think, for uh, unpleasant topics than Harry may be. But it's going to be really interesting if it gets to the topic of will. And given that this interview has been extended from 90 minutes to a full two hours because CBS knows that people won't they want to watch every minute of it. Um, they got a juggernaut with this one. And so I'm so looking forward to Harry and Megan finally being able to take the front seat uh, in their own narrative. And I I love that Oprah is doing this interview. Yes, she is their friend, but it also shows that they trust her to at the very least be fair. So please let me know what you think and what you guys are looking forward to most about the interview. I know this one was all over the place. <laughs> But I just had to had to uh, do a podcast real quick before the interview just to kind of um, give my reactions to the clips and uh, just sort of make some predictions of, of what could be happening, sort of bracing myself even. This is probably more therapeutic for me than anything. But, uh, yeah, let me know what you guys think in the in the uh, comments or just find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. Find me all the places, girl. Um, and just let me know what your expectations are for the interview. And so with that, that's pretty much all I have for today. So um, thanks for tuning in. 
Thanks for your time. And I hope you guys are taking care of yourselves. I will see you on the next go round. Peace. I'm a bad bitch. You can't kill me. Kill me.